If you're uh, new here, we just started the book of 1 Samuel. If you've been here for a while, you know that we went through the book of Judges starting in September, and then we went through the book of Ruth, and now we're in 1 Samuel. And if you're going to be here a long time, we're going to go through 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, and we'll see what happens after 2 Samuel. But don't worry, it'll be, it'll be a while, so you don't even have to, have to worry about that. You hear this consistently uh, when I talk, is that the Bible is about God. I mean... That's what it is. I mean, if the Bible is how to manage your money, the Bible's going to get pretty boring really fast. The Bible is about how to behave. The Bible's going to get really boring really fast. It's going to be dry as dirt. We'll put it that way. Um, The Bible is about God. When you unfold the pages, uh, you see God's activity. The ultimate activity that we see is Jesus left heaven. He came to earth. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross for our sins. He rose again. That's God. And then he says, you didn't do anything. I did everything. <laughs> you're not saved by your works. You're saved by my works and, and what I did. So when we open up the pages of the Bible, we open up the pages to get to know God. God's heart, God's mind, God's thoughts, God's will, God's attitude, God's behavior, um, God's activity, how God works, how God functions. If you want to know how God uh, uh, functions, look at revivals that take place. Whenever revivals take place, you will see that it's not a man standing up and doing this awesome revival. You'll see it's the activity of God. You'll see consistently that it's the activity of God. We just went through the book of Judges. And I'll just do a really fast review even through the the book of Judges. Because Judges was a very dark time. But you know what took place? There was revivals. There's consistent little revivals all the way through. These revivals, if you watch them, they would happen... And they exist as long as the judge was alive, but when the judge died, then the revival died because everybody went back to their own way. But what started these revivals in the book of Judges? We see a, a verbiage that takes place, just one-liners that take place in the book of Judges that you see the start of these revivals. There's a common denominator, Judges 3.10. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him, so that he became Israel's judge. Spirit of the Lord came upon him, <laughs> something's going to happen. You notice whose activity is, this is uh, um, Othniel. The activity is a revival is going to take place as a result of Othniel being somebody. No, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. It's God's activity. And then all of a sudden, revival took place. All the way through the book, Judges 6. So the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. <laughs> revival. Judges eleven twenty nine. Now the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah. Revival. Judges 14, 6, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily. Talking about Samson, revival. Judges 14, 19, then the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily. The Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord. Who's doing the activity? The Spirit of the Lord is coming on somebody, and then all of a sudden you see revival. Who's doing the work? The Holy Spirit is doing the work. Now, when we're preaching the Old Testament, when we're talking about the Old Testament, you always have to look at the Old Testament um, in context. What God was doing here and what God is also doing in the 21st century. When you look at the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was not upon everybody. It was not upon every believer. The Holy Spirit came upon people and then revivals took place. Moses knew this in Numbers eleven twenty nine. He saw the Holy Spirit come upon people And this was his comment. But Moses replied, I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on all of them. Holy Spirit came on certain people of the Old Testament. What about the New Testament? 
Acts. And the Holy Spirit came upon all people, meaning every single believer. So what they did not have in the Old Testament, we have in this day. And according to this verse, we live in the day that Moses just dreamed about. Because every time the Holy Spirit came upon people, it seems like there's revival that was taking place. But after Christ came and we ask Christ in our heart, the Holy Spirit comes on every single believer. So the Holy Spirit, same Holy Spirit that was in Samson, the same Holy Spirit that was in Gideon is in every single believer. That's the day and age that we live in right now. So we start thinking, oh, we could break towards revival. <laughs> well, we should because the Holy Spirit's in every single one of us. This is how God used, God, God works. God uses the Holy Spirit. We moved out of the book of Judges, and we moved to the next book, which is 1 Samuel. Now you say, no, no, there's another book, and there's Ruth. Well, remember we talked about Ruth is actually in the middle of Judges. So Judges to 1 Samuel, that's how it goes in Scripture. So in time-wise, Judges moves into 1 Samuel. You don't see, when you see Samuel come on the scene, you don't see this, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Samuel. You don't see that. You see something different in chapter, in a chapter and a half what we talked about last week. You see these one-liners, 1 Samuel 2, 11. And the boy ministered to the Lord. 1 Samuel 2, 18. Samuel was ministering before the Lord. 2, 21. The young man Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. 1 Samuel 2, 26. Now the young man Samuel continued to grow both in stature and favor with the Lord and also with man. Now the young man, for Samuel, now the young man, Samuel was ministering before the Lord, 319, and Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. It's a whole different verbiage. It's different, it's different activity. The Lord, the Holy Spirit came upon, boom, something happened. This is like a, a growing activity that's taking place with one man named Samuel. So then you're going to ask, well, what's, what's brewing here? What's, what's taking place here? You know, last week we talked about, last two weeks we talked about, you know, revival is going to come to the land because we know the book of 1 Samuel. We know the book of 2 Samuel. We see the revival take place in 2 Samuel. Revival is coming to the land. And this is just the first beginning chapters. I mean, we're, we just get into chapter 3 this morning. Revival's come to the land. What's the foundation that God is using? In Judges, the Holy Spirit came upon him. Revival took place. Samuel, using faithfulness. There's a faithfulness in one person before he drops, God drops the ultimate bomb on that person for the greatest, strongest, most powerful piece of the revival that will ever take place in land. And what is it? God's going to speak. God's going to speak. God's word is going to be given to his people. God uses the Holy Spirit. Revival takes place. God uses this one person's faithfulness. And as he sees this person's faithfulness, he's going to take his word and he is going to hand it to Samuel. Take his word and give it to Samuel. Why? Because he's a faithful individual and then Samuel is going to give it out. That's the passage we're going to read today. And that's why chapter 3 is written. And that's also why we see the detailed description of God speaking to Samuel. Let's read the passage. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. 
And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent visions. It's interesting how we start that verse and start this passage. The word of the Lord was what? What? Rare. It didn't happen a lot. The author is saying, something is coming your way. I just want you to know. Something is coming your way. That should get our attention because it's setting up what is going to take place. The word of the Lord through judges was rare. In other words, he didn't speak a lot through his mouth and audibly. And he didn't speak a lot even through frequent visions through the book of Judges. The Holy Spirit came upon people and revival happens, but this wasn't happening that much. But don't worry, it's going to start happening now. And it starts in verse 2. At the time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark was. Then the Lord called Samuel and said, Here I am. I ran to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me. But he said, I ain't call. Lie down. So he went back to lay down. And the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel rose and went to Eli and said, Here I am. For you called me. But Eli said, I didn't call you, my son. Lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. And Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down. And if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, the Lord your servant. So Samuel went and laid down in his place. And the Lord came and stood, calling as to other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel, at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I'm about to punish his house forever for the iniquities that he knew because of his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquities of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay until morning. Then he opened the doors of his house of the Lord Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, here I am. And Eli said, what was it that the Lord told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and even more also if you hide anything from me, all that the Lord had told you. So Samuel told him everything. hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him. And let none of his words fall to the ground. And let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh. For the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. And then chapter 4 starts into a whole new story. And the word of Samuel came to all 
Israel. Looking at this passage, we see the very top of it. The Lord of the war, or the word of the Lord was rare. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of it, most of it, it says, God speaks. There's a little story about God speaking to Samuel. And we often think that he's a little boy, a little, a little child. He's more of a teenager, probably even close to, to 20 years old at this time, as we see him consistently grow. But we see the story of when God speaks. And at the very end of the story, verse 4, you see, and the word of Samuel came to Israel. What does that mean? It means that the word of the Lord was not necessarily with Israel to the degree that is going to come now through Samuel. Let's just look at a fast doctrinal issue. We start to think about is Samuel's words the words of God? When Samuel speaks, is it God speaking? I mean, we can kind of look at those pieces. No, Samuel is a prophet. What is a prophet mean? Prophet means that God tells Samuel what to say, and then Samuel tells the people what God said. It's not, it's not Samuel, not much in him at all. He listens to God, that's what prophets do. They listen to God, and when they listen to God, this got the words from God, and then they transfer the words of God to the people. We see this all the way through the Old Testament. You hear the words, thus saith the Lord. I mean, that's what a prophet is. Thus saith the Lord, and what do they do? They start speaking the words of God. We see prophets all the way through the Old Testament. Now, when we look into the 21st century, I'm going to be moving back and forth, back to the Old Testament, the 21st century, this entire sermon, just to let you know. When you look back to the 21st century, is that how it works today? Does God call us in a room and say, all right, tell the people this? And then people stand out and say, thus saith the Lord, and then you speak? Is that what takes place today? No, I'll tell you the error that takes place today. This is what takes place today. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3 says this. This is not in your notes. I just wanted to put it in on the scripture. It's Hebrews 1. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days, he has spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he made a purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. How does God speak today? This is how God speaks today. I can say, thus saith the Lord, and then I just got to do this. There's nothing left. That's the say of the Lord. This is, and we can all do that. Because this is how God speaks today. In the days in Samuel, I spoke through prophets. Thus say the Lord. I spoke to them, and then they spoke. These last days, I spoke to my, to my son. Look at every revival that's taken place. There's revival that takes place in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God, the word was with God in the beginning. The word became flesh. He uses a different statement to say who this word is. And it's, it's Jesus became flesh. The proclamation of what God wants to say is in Jesus. Jesus left heaven, he came to earth, he died on the cross, he rose again, and salvation is ours if we believe. When's the next revival? 
Happened in the Acts of the Apostles. What did they preach? What did they talk about? They gave the word of God. And what was it? Jesus came. Jesus died. Jesus rose. He's the answer. And they proved it through the Old Testament. That's all they preached. The greatest revival ever took place. The word of the Lord was then proclaimed to the people. And revival happened. But let's, let's track revivals. As apostles were given that message, Paul was writing letters as well. Peter was writing letters as well through Mark. And these letters were getting spread out. And they were getting more information. 300 years later, there's an inspired word that gets put together, which is the word of God. But it carries so much power after it was, it was written that only, I'm just walking through history, only priests can touch this hot item because it carries so much power. So they kept it from people. <laughs> And then the priests would present what they thought the word said. And they would say, okay, I read the Bible. I'm the only one who read the Bible. Thus saith the Lord, and then I could get exactly what I want. Those were the days of no revival. But then 1500, what do you have? You have a priest named Martin Luther. And since he was a qualified priest, being trained in the priesthood of how to present the word, Oh my goodness, they handed him one of these. Look out, the words of God. And when he opened it, the words of God, he said, it says something that people are not interpreting that are correct. That we are saved by faith. Priests guilt people to getting what they want. Martin Luther said salvation's a free gift. Printed 99 theses on the wall. And then what takes place? He's like, this word's got to be proclaimed the way that it is. And all of a sudden, other people, John Calvin, John Knox, they go, we got to handle all of this word. And people started getting a hold of the word, proclaiming the way that it is, and revival took place. And then they put the printing press together during that same time. And when they put the printing press together, what, took ha- what happened? Oh my goodness, this word got into every single person's hand. And when it got in every single person's hand, I'll tell you, the whole world changed. Why? Because God, God speaks. God speaks. And this is his word that all of us can say, thus saith the Lord. Let me read it <laughs> and let me talk. Look at this revival that's brewing in First Samuel. just want to walk and explain the power of this word. Number one in our notes, God's word does not stand alone. God comes with it. I, uh, I'm a person that loves oysters. I don't know if you like oysters or not, but I love oysters. And it's, it's been a conflict in my, uh, in my uh, marriage. And the reason why it's been a conflict in my marriage is because I don't know what it is, but my wife says, you know, I'm not going to kiss you if you eat those things. And, and, and I, I try to convince her that oysters are really good because oysters is like the only food that if you eat them in the morning, you get to taste them all day. <laughs> you just burp them up. I mean, it's just like eating them all over again. Now, you guys who eat oysters know exactly what, I, what I'm talking about. And she wasn't convinced. And, and I'm kind of a whiner, so I come to church and I whine. I say, yeah, I love oysters, you know, but my, <laughs> my wife won't kiss me for a week if I eat them. 
So the staff here, you know, Miss Krause, she buys me oysters for gifts on a consistent basis. And the word goes around that, uh, yeah, Mike really likes oysters, but his wife really doesn't like oysters. So they, they you know, give me oysters at, at church. And, and on Friday, somebody came in. They came in, they gave me this whole pack right here. And this was somebody that usually doesn't give me oysters. But uh, oysters from Coos Bay. Now, these are whole ones. Those are not even even smoked, but these uh, give me this one as well. It says Pacific Oysters, smoked Pacific Oysters. These, these look good. And then the bottom, they gave me this, TikToks. <laughs> hey, see, what's happening is the, the church people are trying to make me as happy as could be, but they're trying to hold my marriage together in the process of making me as, as happy as could be because they know the ramifications that I have to go through if I eat oysters. Kisses are awesome. Kisses are important. But it's not, about, it's not about the kiss. It's about the person that comes with the kiss. That's what it is. And that's why they're taking care of me. You got to keep your wife next to you. Kisses are awesome. But it's not about the kiss. It's about the person who gives you the kiss. So we can enjoy something. But what comes behind the something that we enjoy? Yeah, this is a great book. Beautiful book. You might like it. You might enjoy it. But what comes behind it? God comes behind it. It changes your whole different perspective. God comes behind it. Every time you read it, you're reading even the voices of God. 1 Samuel 3, 3 says this, The lamp of God had not yet gone out. In other words, God's not done. And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. There's a young man, a young boy, laying where? <laughs> right next to the ark of the covenant. Now we know the ark of the covenant's a Shekinah glory. And it's like, God, where's your activity? God, have you left us? God, are you there? And then all of a sudden a voice speaks. And when the voice speaks in this passage... It just brings to light. God is there when I speak. I am coming with it. Moving back into the 21st century, 1 Thessalonians 2.13 says this, And for this reason we also constantly thank God that when you received from us the word of God's message, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is. The word of God, which has performed its work in you who believes. What it is, what is it? It is the word of God to man. So look at revival. The spirit came upon him, revival took place. But yet we have the spirit of God. God spoke and the world completely changed. But yet we have the word of God at our fingertips. Number two, one thing we need to know about the Bible is that when God speaks, nothing remains the same. I've got two dogs and and they have bad habits. And one of the bad habits they have, I have a big dog and a small dog. The, The small dog's in charge and he's the epitome of evil. He will look at you and say, I am going to be defiant and then do what he wants. And and, and, and he leads the other dog, who's really sweet, astray. 
But what they do is they run. I have seven acres, and they run all the way back to the neighbor's house. Our house is up here. Our neighbor's house is back here. Run all the way back. We've got a fence between the neighbor's house, and their dogs come out, and then they run up and down the fence, barking, 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 barking. It's just it's this constant activity. It is my dog's life. In the wintertime when they don't get out as much, they will look out the back window all day to see if their dogs are out. If those dogs are out, they'll come on, let us out, let us out. And then they'll run back there, and then the dogs will run back and forth. The neighbor's like, oh, here we go, here we go, here we go. I tell them no. It doesn't work. (laughs) No. But I put some teeth in the no. You do it again, I'll put you in the shop. They look at me as, we don't care. (laughs) So I might might try to sink more teeth in them. If I won't only put you in the shop, I will sell you. Mom won't let you sell us. Come on, just listen to me. No. And then there's an argument that takes place between me and my dog, and they, well, if you do this to us, we're going to pee on your tire. If you do this to us, we're going to start peeing in your house. You do, I mean, there's this, this conflict in their house. My words only come with so much power to these dogs, and I will tell you that it's, <laughs> I've lost all authority. God, when he speaks, <laughs> oh my goodness, watch out. The connection of God's word is this word truth means it will happen. Means it is the way it is. Period. Whenever God speaks. There's no negotiation. There's no, okay, let me let me think about it. There's no no. If I say it, it will happen. First Samuel three eleven. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. Look out. God says it. And whatever it's going to be, we don't know what it is yet if we're reading it just in the first, verse 11. But when he says it, look out, it's going to happen. Because whenever God speaks, nothing remains the same. You know, when you look at the power of God, you can say, okay, how powerful is God? And you track the power of God because the word tells us about God and his power. What does he display as the most powerful piece of him? Is it his hand? Is it his arm? Is it his back? What is it? Is it his mind? Is it his will? If you track scripture, the most powerful item that God has put all strength into is the words of his mouth. I spoke and it was created. (laughs) He didn't say, I moved, it was created. I twisted, I lifted. No, I I spoke, and it was created. And he literally spoke things into being where we read the the first chapter of Genesis, and we see the power of his word. It sets us up for the whole book. We better listen to it. Because nothing is going to remain the same as soon as he starts speaking. Tells us in Psalms 33, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, not by his arm, not by his will, not by his character, not by his hand, not by his back. Puts all force right in that word. And when I speak, you better, you better watch out. Number three, God's word is living, active, sharper than a two-edged sword. Where are we at in the book of Samuel? Yesterday, or last week, we, we talked about the corruption that was inside the temple from Hophni and Phineas, and then Eli was just, just letting it take place. Well, there's going to be a trajectory that's going to go a different direction. 
And that's why we get chapter 3. God speaks to change the trajectory. That's what he does. He speaks to change the trajectory. I'm pulling evil out of the temple of the Lord, and I'm putting righteousness, health, and good in. Hophni and Phinehas, Eli is going out. Samuel is going in. Two different, completely opposite characters. 1 Samuel 3, 13, this is what he said to Samuel. I declare to him that I'm about to punish his house forever. And for the iniquities that he knew because of his sons were blaspheming God. And he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquities of Eli shall not be atoned for by the sacrificing or offering forever. Just look at that passage. I declare to him, the word is living. <laughs> God speaks. I declare to him, oh my goodness, there's a light, something's living in the room. I am about to punish his house forever. The word is active. It's truth. And this passage is as sharp as a two-edged sword. I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquities of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrificing or offering forever. I'm cutting this out and I'm putting this in. It's truth. It's power. It's the way it is. And it's going to happen. Go to the 21st century. Hebrews 4.12 For the word of God living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword piercing as far as the division of the soul and spirit both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of everybody's heart. It's taking place in that passage. Here it is. Alive and active. Sharper than a two-edged sword. It will cut me when it needs to cut me. It will convict me when it needs to convict me. Remember, it doesn't stand alone. God comes with it. But yeah, it's alive. It will comfort me when it needs to comfort me. It would shelter me when it needs to shelter me. It will take care of me when it needs to take care of me. It will encourage me when I need to be taken encouraged. It's alive when God speaks. Number four, God's word is the source of revival. Again, track all the revivals. When God speaks, nothing remains the same. But track this revival that's brewing. God spoke in chapter 3. Chapter 4 starts, and it starts this way. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. What does it mean? It means that Israel now is having the word of God. Through Samuel. God is going to speak to Samuel. Samuel is going to tell the people what God says. And God is walking with his people with the word of his mouth. We can look at this amazing story back in 1 Samuel. And we can get excited because we know the whole story. We know the story of Judges and we know the story of Ruth and what's coming in place there. We know the story of 1 Samuel. We know the story of of 2 Samuel. We know what is going to happen there and we see the source of it is that God is going to speak. Bringing it back in the 21st century. He spoke through Samuel, but now he speaks through this. Judges says, 
we have the Holy Spirit. Word says, First John says, or John says, we have his words. What are we short? Short of maybe the faithfulness? Did you see Samuel? Samuel ministered to the Lord. Samuel's ministering before the Lord. Samuel grew in the stature of the Lord. God's word carries so much power. Going to hand it to somebody that is going to be faithful with it. Faithful with it in their homes. Faithful with it in their work fields. Faithful with it in their culture. What's taking place in our world? We can ask the question, is it being watered down? Is it being migrated to the culture? Is it being spoken the way that God says that it's supposed to be spoken? If revival, this is the only point I want to give you, is if revival ever takes place, it'll be a result of all God's people taking what they have on their shelf, reading it, memorizing it, studying it, and every preacher proclaiming it, it and its power by exactly what it says. God, we just um, ask for grace. Ask for grace, ask for mercy upon the church and your people. Give us a revelation of your voice, meaning that we're attracted to your word. We know through all history, we've seen history, when your word comes and rises, God, things happen. We just pray, God, that in our country in particular, that the word would not be taken out of the schools. That the word would not be hidden, hidden from the generation that is behind us. That the word would be proclaimed, the word would be loved, the word would be adored, the word would be sought after, and the word would be read and obeyed. We ask for this, God, because there's a great need in our land. We love you. In Christ's name, amen.